right. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that so much. I'll tell you what, I was uh, just thinking back this week, uh, having served in the military. And how many of you guys have served in the military? Guys and gals out there served in the military. Let's give them a big hand. Amen. Appreciate you guys' service so much, so much. And, you know, I was thinking of some 239 years ago. Is these men left a, a tyranny of a, of a government, of a foreign government that wanted to decide how we live, how we worship, how we regulate. Everything about that was to get away from the hand of a government who would say this is how it has to be done. And interestingly, if we look and survey our life today, isn't it interesting that we're kind of falling right back into that same paradigm? That we're finding that some, you know, and this is not a political message at all. Please, please don't misconstrue where I'm going this morning. But to understand that there is a political issue here that we've got to grab onto. But I submit to you that it's much greater than anything political. It's totally spiritual. That the more that we can fall under the auspices of another hand that's seeing over us that tells us this is how you worship. This is what flag you can wave. This is what you can and can't say. This is what, let me tell you something. That is not the framework by which this great nation was framed. That is not what it was about. 239 years ago, yesterday, as these men drafted the final resolution, if you will, the constitution of what would be known as the United States of America, that we're to be united together, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Not some, not some preferred group of people, not just because you have money or even because you don't have money. Not the majority and certainly not the minority, but for all people that there is a justice to be had. Why? Because the writers of the Constitution believe that those were the rights given not by man, not by a government, but by our Creator. And the reality is, is if we together collectively in the church, outside the church, but I can only speak to us, the body of Christ, if we don't get, around, get our head around the notion of where we're going very quickly and that we have a voice, let me, let me say it this way, 84% of the United States of America claims to be evangelical Christians. 3% claim to be in the minority who has a louder voice than we do right now. Hey, if nothing else... We can give them an attaboy and an attagirl, a big hand clap, because they have at least fought for what they believe in. And I say they, who is they? Anyone that would come against the framework of the Word of God, they literally have found themselves to have a stronger, more dynamic, more diverse, but hey, check this out, yet they're unified, diverse but unified. The enemy today stands against you and I unified. The enemy is not arguing about who is control and, and who is over this and who is over that. Oh, no, no, no. They come together with a tactical offensive while we're standing back, the majority, the born again, the redeemed, standing back saying, who's going to do this or who's going to do that? Well, that's her job. Well, that's his job. Well, I can't do that because I don't feel good about this. Let me tell you something, guys. It's time. It's high time that we collectively draw ourselves together to be unified again like the Acts Church to be in one mind and one heart and one accord. We're the majority. And can I tell you something? We've already won. It's a settled issue in heaven that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We're not just overcomers. We're not just victorious. That's a mediocre, that's a picture of a guy running a race and, and, and just barely making it to the finish line. Oh, no, no, no. We have far outran the devices of the enemy. 
There is nothing that can come against us that can break down the framework, not of our constitution, but of our heartbeat for Jesus Christ, who is the supreme being, the ruler, the Lord of lords, and the king of kings. That's who we serve. And if you read the word of God, you realize that the numbers, the days of the enemy are numbered. And he knows that as well. Yet interestingly, as we look into where we are today, truth has become relative. In fact, if you look into the final verses of the book of Judges, and just understanding, and that's not our text today, but Judges, of course, was a time, a period of great apostasy, a great a falling away, if you will, from the truth of God's word, from the truth of God's mandate. And in that time, men would be blessed by God, become complacent in their own right. They would turn to idolatrous or self-worship, and then they would sin. They would cry out to God. God would send a judge. They would repent of their sin and go right back into the cycle of being blessed, complacency, idolatry, crying out, judge, bless, and so forth and so on. And it still ensues today. And that's where we are today. But in the final verse... Of Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, you don't have to turn there. It says, in those, in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar? That people are rising up today and saying, you know, if it means this to me, then it has to be truth. Or if it's important to me, then it has to be okay. Well, see, the only problem that Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. He was, he was very intolerable, if I may say. Jesus says, there is no other way. I'm it. No other scheme, no other avenue, no other angle. I'm it. I'm the only way that you can come to God. And in saying that, he was stating a very intolerable position, which is why the masses, which even the religious crowd, was so against him is because he stood on one absolute truth that he was the way. He was the truth. He was the resurrection. There was nothing else that would be allowable in the context of the Word of God. And today, we flounder. We flounder as a nation. Many, many years ago, we would, you would hear the United States of America, its military forces, its combined units, and, and, and armies across the world would tremble. Today, they laugh and they mock us. You say, Mark, what does all this mean? Let me tell you what it means. It means that we are proportionately growing smarter more technologically advanced, but yet we're getting too big for our britches. We're getting in a place, watch this, go to 1900 and all the way back. From 1900 back, you see that the way of communication was handwriting, handshakes, face-to-face interaction. After 1900, we, we started to uh, find that there was other ways. We would, we would be able to communicate in, in faster ways, ultimately bringing about the, the telephone. Where you could literally, not just through a can the old way, but you could talk uh, across land masses, even to the point to where it later became where there were no wires. You could talk over the water bodies. And then there became fax machines where, hey, you don't even have to go to somebody's office and get something done. We can fax it right over. How many remember when those things came out? The fax machine, not the telephone. Some of y'all are a little bit older than that, but some of y'all are like, I remember the telephone. And then it got into an age, and I'll never forget this. I mean, when I was in school, I mean, I remember my, my sister and I had our own telephone. We had our own phone line. I remember the days as a young, a young boy where we had party lines. Anybody remember that, party lines? Check it out. This was the most cool thing for teenagers. Man, I could pick up the phone, and I could hear what my neighbors were saying down the road. Five or six people shared a phone line. Do y'all remember that? The, the youth in here were like going, no way. I mean, it was awesome. And then we get into the point of the digital age and cell phones. 
we're getting to the point now of, of, of a media-driven world. And here's what we've done. We have forsaken simple communication to people, interfacing. We've gotten too big for our britches. Travel at the 1900s and back was done by way of these things. You actually would walk somewhere. I know you don't believe it. But you would actually walk somewhere. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe you were wealthy enough to have a horse or a camel or a donkey or, or something like that that you could ride somewhere. But still, you're talking days, you're talking weeks getting across the plains. And then we got too big for our britches and we, we saw the creation of the automobile. In the 1900s, automobiles became the craze, the, 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 the new way to get places faster because we got to get faster, we got to get better, we got to get bigger. And that wasn't enough. And then everybody's got to have a car, and the kids got to have a car. Oh, and that wasn't enough, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to fly. I mean, it was crazy that the Wright brothers to think, we're going to get in a a machine, and it's going to lift off, and it's going to defy gravity, and there's going to be a a lift and a down pressure, and it's going to soar over the waist. And the people that were killed through through journeying trying to to find flight as an opportunity. Oh, but that wasn't enough. Then we said, well, let's do... Let's do like supersonic. Let's do, let's do airplanes with jet engines on them. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, and then, then there's a big fight in a race to who's going to go to the moon first? Are you kidding me? We're going to go to another planet? And we're fighting as to who. And then they go, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And, and oh, we won that too. And, and man, we're just, and now 24,000 miles per hour is not even too much for us to do. Yet watch this. We are progressively getting greater Yet we're progressively paralleling that, entering into a darker, more morbid world. It's, it's not, it's not a, a mully grub message. It's not a, oh man, well what do we, no, no, no. It's, it's a reminder that the more advanced, the more technological we get. It reminds me of the three scientists who got together and said, you know, we have cloned this sheep and we can clone man. It's all simple stuff, splitting of chromosomes, atoms. We can do all these things. Let's come together and let's build a man. And we'll have a competition with God and we'll have a man-making contest. And they approached God and they said, we can do this. We're going to make a man and we want to challenge you. We, we believe we can do it better. We want to make him stronger. We want to make him smarter. And we want to make him faster. And God said, okay, sure, that's cool. I've already done that. But then since I've done that, you go ahead and do yours. And one of the scientists reached down to pick up some dirt. He said, oh, no, 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 you make your own dirt. You see, God made us out of nothing. But he even made the nothing. God doesn't need our technological advances to to make what he's done better. Can I say it this way? The way he intended it is the way that it's going to be in the fullness of time. And here we go traveling through life, gaining, yet we're losing. I remember sitting around a dinner table every single night with my folks. It's a lost art. Now it's fast food. Hey, nothing wrong with fast food. I love it. I love it. I love it. But check it out, we're missing something when we get so stinking busy that we don't even have time to sit down with our family and have a dinner and look across the table. How was your day? My day was great. How was yours? My day was awesome. You know, and so forth and so on. So what do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We realize that there's a point of reference. General Douglas MacArthur said this. At the close of of World War II, 1947-ish, listen to what he says. We have had our last chance. If we do not now devise some greater and more equitable system, Armageddon will be at our door. The problem basically is theological. 
And it involves a spiritual improvement, watch this, of human character. It must be of spirit if we are to save the flesh. The enemy is rising up. How many of you know that? I hope you do. The enemy is getting grander and more splendid and more appealing. If you go into any third world country today, you will find the cults of this world, world religions, that are rising up. And watch this. They are propagating a lie across the world. And guess what? Those churches are growing by leaps and bounds. You know why? Because the people out there who are believers of a lie believe in it so wholeheartedly that they're willing to go to the ends of the earth to forsake all. Hey, even the worst of the worst of the worst, they're willing to die for everything they believe in. And yet God has not called us to die, but yet to live for the very thing that we believe in. He said, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your body. Say it with me. A living sacrifice. Say it again. A living sacrifice that's holy, that's acceptable unto God. How? By the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the way you think, by the way you look, the way you see things. When we can get our head around the opportunities that we have today because of the technological advances, we can change the world. We can get there faster. We can send the information out quicker. I know times, a lot of times when I speak about uh, end times and things of that nature, people get a little nervous. Remember I preached last week about what moves you. Many of us are moved by fear of the unknown or what's going to happen. Guys, read the Word of God. It's already spelled out. You can see what's going on in our world today is exactly what the writers of the Bible said were going to happen thousands of years before it begins to unfold. Do you know why? Because God knew it was coming. So what do we do today? I'll tell you what we do. We grab on to a truth. We grab on to a hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. And it's the hope that they can, there can be a greater light shown through us today. Because watch this. The darker the world becomes, the brighter mine and your light should become. And the truth is, is we're nothing more than reflectors of his light. That we should be a reflector of the true light, which is Christ. It's the light that I may add that will never go dim. That never is compromised. If you have your Bible today, I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Solomon speaking to his son. He was the wisest man to ever live, the Bible says. He, he prayed for wisdom to lead God's people. And as he writes these words, it's a word that is timeless today as it was the day that he spoke it. That there is a hope, that there is something we can grab onto, if you will, to find God's way in a dark day. To literally realize that no matter what's going on in the world around us, that there's a light that we can step into that reflects the glorious light of Jesus Christ. The hope of the world that no matter, watch this, no matter what happens in this life, that there is a hope. To be, to be held. Listen, let me read the verses with you if I may. He says, my son, forget not my law, in verse 1, but let thine heart keep my commandments, speaking about his word, for length of days and long life and peace shall be added. I'll give you prosperity gospel in one sentence. One sentence. It's not investments. It's not name and claim it. It's you concentrate on the word of God. Long days and prosperity will be added unto you. Young people, you want to know prosperity? Honor your mother and your father and longer days and prosperity shall be added unto you. It's not about investments. That's what the world says. Hey, does that mean, Mark, we don't need to save money? We don't need to invest? No, no, no. You need to do those things for sure. 
But you need to do them to the end of realizing that every, watch this, everything we have, everything we do, everything we're about should be only flowing through us that we may be a blessing to others. Can I say it this way? God does not just bless you just for you. He's got someone else in mind. If God gives me a gift, if God gives me a financial means, if God gives me a business, make no mistake about it, for you and I, children of God, there is only through that business, through that financial means, through that talent, is only a platform by which I use to, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of God to a lost and dying world in a dark world. Listen to what he says. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Where is our mercy gone? Where is truth? Truth is not relative. Can I say this to you, church? Truth is not what you say it is. That's relativism. It's not what you think the Bible says. It's what did the Bible say. It's not what you think God meant. It's what he meant. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but many of us today can say, you know what, I got enemies. I got people that don't like me. Can I tell you something? It's easy for me to sit back and say, well, if they would change, or if they would do this, or if they weren't so condescending, or if they weren't so hurtful. Or they, but you know what the Bible tells me, Kyle? If a man's ways please the Lord, he'll make even his enemies to be at peace with him. See, it comes back to me. That's, that's truth. See, truth says it's my responsibility. Truth says if you got an enemy out there, somebody that curses you or persecutes you, guess what Jesus says? Are you greater than the master? You're my servant, and I was persecuted. Jesus came into the world, and his own received him not, put him on a cross, and shouted, crucify him. Should we expect any different? Yet what he's given us is the Holy Spirit, the truth, the comforter, the guiding force of our life, to rise above that. He said, greater works will you do in my name than I have done. Why? Because he's sending the comforter our way. Watch what he says in verse 4. So that... You may find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and of what? And of men. Don't pray for popularity for your children. They just may get it. Popularity for your child means oftentimes in this world that they've compromised. Pray for favor over your child. That they may be favored by God and man. Why? Because then they have that identifiable, no question about it, that person is chosen by God for some greater good. And hear me. Please hear me. I, I, I am not saying that everybody needs to be one of those Bible-thumping, praise the Lord, hallelujah kind of thing, running through town with all that religious jargon and rhetoric that it is quite frankly offensive if you're not living it. You know how people can know that you're a follower of Jesus? How you love people. Not how many verses you can quote. Not how many times you can invite them to church. Because let's check it out. If you're inviting them to church, and we can, when are you going to come to my church? When are you going to come to church? You might be face to face at some point with this truth. Are you living what you're preaching? Are you offering something that the world doesn't have through your relationship with Jesus Christ? You want to make the world run after Jesus through you? Love them. When they curse you, when they hurt you, love them. When somebody walks into Walmart and you know that they have been a, a jack wagon that week and they've hurt you in so many ways and hurt your kids and all these things, don't you go the other way. You know you don't need nothing over there. Go back over there and talk to them. Go there and big, give them a big hug. No, I'm kidding. Just hug them. And then verse 5 and 6, here's our text real quickly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You want to find God's way in a dark day? Three things very quickly. Three things very quickly. Right fast, I'm talking fast. There needs to be a trusting confidence. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With everything you are. Do you know why people don't trust him today? They don't know him, Robbie. You can't trust somebody you don't know. I mean, remember the day when your dad or your mom was on, you were jumping off the diving board, and they're like going, come on, you can do it. And you're like going, no way. And you're screaming. And I remember when I was at the recreation center swimming when I was a kid, and my dad, uh, my mom couldn't swim, so she was absolutely no help. She would drown everybody trying to help her. And my dad jumped in the water, and he's, you know, he's a big guy at the time, and he jumped in, and he'd come off the construction site, he'd come in, and he had like this, I'm, I never forget, just this big guy, you know, he had on those, you know, the shorts you wore in the 70s, you know, those that you ought not ever wear in public, he had that on. And he jumps in, and he, he comes in, and he goes, I mean, there wasn't anybody else in the whole place, yet it was packed. And he, he said to me, he said, you can do it. You know what I thought? Nothing could touch me. I can do it because my dad's down there waiting. And it may hurt when I hit, but my dad's there. I may go under, but my dad's there to pull me up. But can I tell you something? There comes a point in time where dad cannot fix everything in your life. You know, I've used an illustration several years ago, and I forgot to tell my son what we were going to do. And I was preaching at a men's conference, and I put Tyler up on a stage. And, you know, Tyler's 25 years old, weighs 180 pounds, and he's slowly, quickly getting bigger than me. And I said, Tyler, get up there. And he's like, okay, whatever. You know, and I would use them as preaching illustrations all the time, and they had no clue what I was doing. And I said, Tyler, I want you to get back. I said, you know how I used to catch you? He'd jump off the house. Man, I'd catch him. I mean, I'd break my arms. Daddy, you know what I'm talking about. I'd break my arms before I let my boy hit the ground. So I get up there. I said, Tyler, I want you to, do you trust me? Yeah, Dad, I trust you. Do you trust me with everything? Yeah, Dad, I trust you. I said, get back there and take off running. I'm going to catch you. He's like, you crazy. I said, no, man, you can do it. I got you. You, you trust me. Dog. And he gets back and he starts running. And right, what he kissed today? I mean, he's running, y'all, with everything. And I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking, he's just a. And he gets right to the end. I said, whoa, whoa, are you crazy? And I can't catch you. And see, maybe that day was the point of reference for Tyler to realize dad can't fix it. Dad doesn't have all the answers. Dad is frail. Dad will, where were you at, Tyler? These are only illustrations. These are not for you. But I cannot hold him up anymore. Oh, but there's a God in heaven that can not only catch him, but that can carry him, that can endure, that can push on. He will never fail him. Tyler will never have to say, where were you, God? Because he's always right there. It is against the dynamic and the character of God to ever fail. He can't do anything but love you. He can't do anything. Oh, check it out. But if you don't trust that today, you're walking outside the protection of that loving arm. And guys, I'm going to tell you, in a dark world, that's not a place you want to be. It must be a trusting confidence. Adrian Rogers said it this way. To know him is to love him. To love him is to trust him. To trust him is to obey him. And to obey him is to be blessed. You got to know him before you can ever trust him. How many of you are afraid of sharks? There's a lot of comments right now on YouTube and Facebook about sharks. I don't know what's going on. There's like an attack of the sharks in Panama City. They're everywhere. And, and you know what? If I'm in the water, and there's no telling how many times I've been in the water and sharks have overran my feet just laughing at me going, I can eat you. And you don't have any, any clue how many times that's happened. But even though I'm scared of sharks... 
I have no problem going to the Georgia Aquarium and standing face to face with that joker and going, I ain't afraid of you. <laughs> or go to the zoo and a tiger, a lion that could, could rip me open. I, I mean, I'm not telling y'all, I am bad. I'll get in that thing and I'll stand right in his face and go, what? Or nothing. I'm not afraid. I'm not moved by that. I'm telling you guys, you have no clue how tough I am. Do you know why though? Because there's a separation. It may not only it may only be a three quarter of an inch plexiglass or some kind. I pray to God it's, it's lined with rebarb and glue and everything else. So, but you know what? I will stand face to face with a bull shark and go, "What? I'll bite your fin off." You know, I, I mean, I just get there and, and I'm not afraid. Do you know why? Because I am not in his domain. But watch this. Oh, but Mark, you're face to face with him. Inches from a tiger or a lion that could rip you apart. Oh yeah, but there's a separation between him and me. And I have a trusting confidence, praise God, hallelujah, that that glass is not going to break. See, if you and I would grab on to the fact that we're in this world, but we're not of it. And the enemy is the prince of the power of the air today. He has reign. Hear me, hear me, church. Don't miss this. Read your Bible and you'll realize he has authority in this world. He has demonic forces operating under his hands in this world. As the band comes, hear me. I won't get through the sermon, but I feel like I need to really get on this. This was not in my text. But see, when I realize that through the Holy Spirit of God, that there is a protective glass. It's called faith. If you look into our arsenal in Ephesians chapter 6, have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, get in the book. That's what you stand on. That is your foundation. Have your loins girt about with truth. In the Old Testament, a man would wear a cloak. He would wear a long, flowy skirt, if you will. And when he went into battle, or it ever came a time where he'd go hunting, he would reach down behind his legs and grab the back of his cloak, pull it up, tie it around his waist so that he wouldn't get hung on the things, the briars and the bushes. And that's what it meant to be girt about. He would gird himself about so that he could run and be more mobile and the enemy couldn't grab onto it or, or something else as he's going to take that animal down. And, and listen, you and I, we need to gird about ourselves with absolute truth found only in the Word of God so that nothing else in this world can reach out and grab your attention. If you don't stand for Christ in here and out there, you'll fall for everything. And I don't mean to be too incredibly transparent, but let me tell you something. I've looked. I've looked in the world for those things. Some of you have too. You know what I'm talking about. I've looked for, for, for hope and happiness in the things of this world. Can I tell you something? I'll save you a lot of trouble. It's not there. I've looked. It's not in a bottle. It's not in a man or a woman. It's not in an accolade. It's not in money. It's not in ownership. It's not in having a big church. It's not in having a great business. It's in knowing who God has created you to be. And I don't mean to point him out, but God just kind of, James Flowers, one of the kindest men I know, literally will pursue you to help you if you are in a time of need. And you, don't even, you might not even know him. I can't tell you how many times he's called me. Hey, brother, can I do so-and-so? He's going over to my mom's house since my dad passed and fixed things. When I, when I was up on the go, and I know Ronnie Hendricks has too and several other people. And, and, but the reality is, is you know, it, it's just James knows who he is in Christ. 
He has the gift of help, the gift of encouragement. I've, I've often said this. You know, my, my wife is largely, and I don't have any problem saying this, largely the reason. Wives, listen to me. Listen to me, wives. Maybe you're here today by yourself. Maybe you drug that guy you call husband with you today, and he didn't want to come. And he, I don't want to go. I don't want to be there. I don't like Mark anyway. Just say, he don't like you either. But my wife would go to church, and, and she wouldn't. She would say, hey, are you going to go today? Or, hey, I want you to do this. Or, I don't want to do it. She just keep on pressing on because she knew who she was in Christ. See, that's what we have to realize is that the confidence we have to place in God is that we need to be who God has called us to be and realize that the enemy may be right there in front of us, yet you're separated by a protection called Jesus Christ. He can't touch you. When you trust Him, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. There's got to be a trusting confidence. But then there's got to be, and I'm going to close with this, a total commitment. 1904, a young man named Bill Borden, William Borden, the last heir to the Borden Dairy Estate, multi-million dollar estate. 16 years of age, graduated from high school, two years before his class. He was called uh, to do great things in the business world. He was going to be the next guy, the next business tycoon to take over the world. Had scholarships to every Ivy League school, accepted one to Yale University to start in 1905. But his parents being multi-multi-millionaires, they said, here's what we're going to do for you, Bill. We want you to see the world, so we're going to give you a trip around the world. One year, you travel all over the world. He penned some words when he left. He said, I am entering the mission field. Oh, no, 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 Bill. We just want you to take a trip, brother. We want you to come back because there's great things for you here. I am entering the mission field. People said he's crazy. He's going to forsake all of his wealth wealth to enter the mission field. And he wrote two words in the back of his Bible. No reserves. He went off and through his travels, he fell in love with the Kensu people in China saw the the, the depletion of their culture, the need for Christ. And he came back and he said, I'm going to study languages, I'm going to get involved, and I'm going to go to college, but I'm going back to those people. At his school, he began to start Bible studies all over the campus. Before you know it, over three quarters of the student body were, were coming to Bill Borden's Bible study. People say, why aren't you leading business uh, uh, talks? And why aren't you doing all the things that you know? And he said, he said, because I'm saying yes to Jesus and no to the world every time. People said he's crazy. And he wrote the two words, no retreats. I'm not backing up, he said. I know what God has called me to do. I know who my mom and dad are. I know what the estate says, but I know what God has called me to be. He said, no reserves. Not holding back and no retreats. I'm not backing down. When he graduated from college at 22 years of age, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He said no to jobs. He said no to the, to the estate. And he said, I'm going, and I'm going to take the gospel. And he went by way of some uh, Arabic countries, and he, he learned the language as he's going to take it to these people. And while he was there, at 22 years of age, he contracted spinal meningitis, and he died. 
total loss, total failure, total waste of a good life. That's what they said in the tabloids. When his body was shipped back to his parents' house for the funeral, they found his personal Bible just ragged. And the mom was looking through it and she saw the words that he penned. No reserves. I'm holding nothing back. No retreats. I'll never back up. And she saw two more words. The bottom of that, it said, no regrets. Because he had a trusting confidence and a total commitment to the one who redeemed him, the one who called him by name, and the one that put him on a mission field to reach an unreached people group. Can you say that today? Do you have a trusting confidence today despite what's going on in the world? That can't move you. Do you have a total commitment today? Or only are you committed on a Sunday and a Wednesday and here and there? The framework for our faith is that being a child of the Most High God means that we're a Christian. It's not a religion. It's a position in our life to walk like Christ. I challenge you today to, number one, to come to know Jesus. He's worth knowing. He's pursued you with His love. He's saved you. Some of you don't know that confidence today because you've not embraced the free gift of life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's paid for in full. And all you got to do is reach your hand out and grab onto it. And the Bible says to as many as received Him, to them, He gave the power to become a son or a daughter of God. Mark, God can't forgive me for what terrible things I've done I've thought, I've said, I've spoken against God. Can I tell you something? He knows all of that, and He died for that. He can forgive you, and He will. The world has nothing for you. Despite the darkness in this world, there's a light that shines so bright. And He wants to shine into your heart today and give you a hope beyond hope. A pleasure beyond any pleasure. A satisfaction beyond any satisfaction. A purpose beyond any purpose. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me all over the room today. All over the room. I believe with all of my heart there's people that are going to do business with God today. This is the moment you were created for. You are brought into the world today to hear this message that Jesus loves you, He died for you, He redeemed you, He has a purpose for your life, and you got to hold on to it today. You got to reach out with everything you have and say yes to Jesus. Stop running. I know you're tired, I know you're frustrated. There's not a lot of purpose in your life. All that can change with one simple yes to Jesus if you'd like to know him today as Lord and Savior Lord and Savior of your life would you pray with me right now from your heart to God say God in heaven I believe in Jesus I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to forgive all of my sins my sin of yesterday my sin I committed today and yes, even the sins of tomorrow. Jesus, I accept you as Lord of my life. Will you save me? And help me to live for you 
until you call me home. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Greatest decision of your life. I wonder would you without hesitation, without thought or personal debate, without anyone looking or coming to you, I'm not going to call you out. But if you pray today and you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, lift your hand right now. Lift it up high. Don't be ashamed. Lift it up. Mama, Daddy, lift it up high. Hands down. How many of you can say, Mark, I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm a child of God. If I die today, I'm going to heaven. Lift your hand up. Lift your hand up. All right, guys, here's the concern. Some hands didn't go up either time. But you know what? Around here, we just believe in second and third chances. If you didn't ask Jesus into your heart, but you wish you had a, would you do it right now? Because if you don't know, guys, you're not promised. You're not promised another opportunity. This is it. This is your moment. I'm passionate about this because, guys, we're not offered another second in this life. If you didn't ask Jesus in your heart right now, do it. Say, God in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I know that I have failed. Sinned against you. But dear Jesus, save me. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Now this time, if you prayed and asked Jesus in your heart, lift your hand up real quick, real quick. Don't even think about it. God bless you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Hold it up. Hold it up see your hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Here's what I want you to do. Everyone look this way. If you ask Jesus in your heart, we have some people down front that will pray for you. That's all we're doing. Doors of our church stand open. If you would like to be a part of our fellowship, a part of our church, we'd love to have you. I'm going to stand down front. But here's what I want you to do today, right now, as you stand to your feet. If God has spoken to you about that lack of confidence in Him or lack of commitment, and today you want to just take one step, just one step to say, God, today I'm going to trust you. Today I'm going to commit to you. I commit my family to you. I commit my business to you. I commit my finances to you. I commit my marriage, my children, my church, my hopes, my dreams. If you give Him everything, He says, hey, I have decision for you. I have purpose for you. I want to bless you above that which you can ask, think, or imagine. Don't think that you can figure it out all alone he's got something better for you you got a business you need to give it to God you got a marriage you need to give it to God you got children give it to God you don't have to say a word to me just come shake my hand trying to walk away the altar's open the church is open